Welcome to the Laura Plantation Podcast. Laura Plantation provides a cultural experience unlike any other in the United States. Here you will find the difference that exemplifies Creole Louisiana. Explore the rigors of 200 years of daily life along with the sobering experience of slavery as it happened at one historic site on the banks of the Mississippi River in the middle of New Orleans plantation country. In this podcast, historian Katie Morlos Shannon and director of PR and marketing Joseph Dunn will be your guides into the Creole world, offering you true, personal, compelling stories of the people who lived, worked, and died at this unique historic site. Real history about real people. Welcome to the Laura Plantation Podcast, Season 1, Episode 4. Last time, we discussed the 1829 donation of the plantation by Nanette Duparc and the formation of the Duparc Brothers and LaCoule Company, which would become Laura Plantation. One of the main ways we gain insight into the enslaved community at Laura Plantation is through the inventories made when the plantation owners died. Between 1829 and 1851, none of the partners in the plantation died, so we do not have any inventories for those years. Then in the 1850s, Raymond Lacoule, Louis Duparc, Mercelite Duparc, who is Flagey's wife, and Louis Duparc's wife, Fanny Rucker, all died. The inventories made at the time of their deaths show that the enslaved community had grown over the two decades that had passed. There were still Creoles present, people born in Louisiana who spoke French and practiced Catholicism, but there was also a new presence in the quarters. A majority of the enslaved population was now American. Sugar had become a major cash crop, and as the demand for it rose, the plantation owners of South Louisiana's uh, desire for enslaved labor also increased. The slave trade with Africa ended in 1808, and with that, plus the rise of sugar and cotton plantations in the Deep South, the domestic slave trade became enormously significant. This brutal system caused the forced separation of families and the relocation of around 2 million people from the Upper South to the Lower South. Enslaved people from Virginia, North and South Carolinas, Maryland, D.C. were all sold, put on ships, and transported to New Orleans. New Orleans became the largest slave market in the United States. There, the Duparks and LaCoules purchased enslaved men, women, and children from the Upper South. Americans who spoke English came from Protestant faiths and were not used to farming sugarcane. Today, we will focus on one man who came to Laura Plantation as a result of the interstate slave trade. Harry Miner arrived in Louisiana in 1845. 
He was one of thousands of Virginia slaves brought to the New Orleans slave market through the interstate slave trade. Harry was held for several months in slave trader George Davis's pen, located where Esplanade Avenue meets the Mississippi River near the French Quarter of New Orleans. On January 28, 1846, Flagey Dupart purchased him for $800, which would be approximately $30,000 in today's money. When Harry was brought to work in the cane fields of Laura Plantation, he was 20 years old, he spoke English, and he was Protestant. He had left behind family, friends, and the only home he had ever known and forcibly brought to Louisiana, where he was expected to immediately assimilate into the Creole plantation community. Harry learned the ins and outs of sugarcane farming and adjusted to a French-speaking community. He married Louise Howard, a Creole slave who was baptized in the Catholic Church. Harry endured the brutal realities of life on a sugarcane plantation in South Louisiana and lived to know freedom. He was out in the field harvesting sugarcane when Union soldiers appeared. This was during the Civil War. He and his fellow slaves followed the Union Army to their headquarters at Booty Station, south of the plantation, where they were sent to work on government-run plantations away from Laura. Eventually, Harry and his family did return to Laura Plantation. They remained there until 1872, when Elizabeth LeCool divided the business between her children, Emile and Emma. Most formerly enslaved laborers remained tied to the plantation, unable to break free of the sharecropping system and the debts owed to the plantation store. Harry proved an exception. He and several former slaves from neighboring plantations came together, pooled their resources, and purchased land in Wallace, an area just downriver from the plantation. The Minor family helped establish Woodville Baptist Church and organized a benevolent society to provide assistance to the community in the event of illness or death. Harry and Louise raised their six children on their own property. Their descendants continue to live on Harry's tract of land today. While giving testimony during a trial, Harry was questioned about the character of a friend who was formerly enslaved with him. Harry's response speaks to what he deemed most important in life, a goal he himself ultimately achieved. He said, he is a mighty good man, a smart man. He has a piece of land of his own and makes his own living. We will end in Harry's own words with an excerpt of his testimony from an 1880s deposition. Harry said, I was living at Widow LeCool's plantation. I left it because I wanted to leave it myself, because I wanted to be free. I hitched up a cart and three mules. I went to Booty Station. I stayed there about two days. I went to Mr. LeBranche's. I went down to help take off the crop. I was well satisfied with what they gave me, plenty to eat, plenty of clothes, and some money. I returned to Widow LeCool's again. I remained some years. I stayed with her until the plantation was divided with the children. I then bought a place of my own. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for joining us. We invite you to visit Laura Plantation, where you can walk in the footsteps of the people you've learned about today. For more information, see our website, www.lauraplantation.com. Our tour is based on thousands of pages of primary source documents amassed through tenacious research spanning three decades. At Laura, you will walk in the footsteps of the people who made history. Be in the rooms where it all happened. Join us again next week to hear real history about real people.